0: Okay, welcome back to Series 3 of Recruitment Journeys, the very first podcast ever dedicated to the Australian recruitment industry. Brought to you by me, Pete Watson, and Mint Recruitment, which is my R2R business. Uh, We've been finding great jobs for great recruiters since 2004. Now then, on Recruitment Journeys this time around, we're doing things a little bit differently. Instead of just having the traditional one-on-one conversations, we're inviting two recruitment identities onto every episode. So we can get differing opinions, alternate points of view, a bit of banter, vibrant discussion. And who knows, we might even get some heated debate and who doesn't love a bit of heated debate. So two for the price of one. We'll talk about all things recruitment and also try to get to know our guests on a personal level too. Stella Petra Concha and Andy McGregor are both young-ish Progressive thinking, innovative, move-with-the-times recruitment leaders. They are exactly the type of leaders that would have looked closely at what COVID did to our industry, learned from it, and adapted. They are exactly the right kind of people to ask the question, how has the role of a recruiter changed in this post-COVID world? So without further ado. Stella, meet Andy Mack. Andy Mack, meet Stella. Hi, how are you? How are you doing, guys? Hello. Good. Thank you so much for being involved once again in recruitment journeys. This is obviously the second time both of you have appeared. Which, when I say that out loud, it makes me think I probably need to start getting some some fresh some fresh guests on the uh, on the show. But you were both so amazing first time round. You've been you've been invited back again.
1: Um, Nice to be described (laughs) as stale, Pete. So thanks for that. That Great.
0: (laughs) Now tell me, have you guys? met before i think you've had a fleeting meeting somewhere
1: do I? you recall yeah i think there's been a couple of um sort of um events hosted by some the bullhorns and the linkedins of this world and then I think there's a recruiter insider sort of event as well so there's been a few and the last one would have been um engaged just before um, there was some global pandemic that kicked off about March last year, and um, I think we we saw brief, each other briefly before that. But since then, we've just not managed to catch up for various reasons. It's been very busy.
0: And uh, and tell me, Andy, when, next- when you oh, so you sorry you sat next to Andy.
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he wouldn't remember.
0: Okay, well, <laughs> I was I was about to I was about to say, Andy, uh, Stella has form of kind of yelling at uh, at, at random business leaders. Um, like, do you fancy merging just in front of everybody? She hasn't, she hasn't yet yelled that at you in a, in a public forum.
1: Yeah, I'm not a business leader. Um, let's just remember that.
0: I <laughs> would explain so, why.
1: Not quite there yet. Not at that level. That would explain
0: why. Guys, once again, thank you for being involved in in recruitment journeys um, no series three. Uh, if it isn't already blatantly obvious and trying to do things a little bit differently this time, I'm trying to invite, invite two guests on the show um, each fortnight um, to talk about all things recruitment in the hope to kind of try and create some some debate, you know, some discussion, um, who knows, maybe even some disagreements, some arguments, that'd be good. Um, mm. So Stella, if Andy says anything s- stupid, um, yeah. Yeah. Feel free to jump in and and, and challenge challenge him on it. Um, Today, guys, we are going to be talking about, we're all a little bit sick about talking about COVID, uh, unfortunately, but it's it's ever-present, so we need to deal with it and address with it and and learn from it. But today, we're going to be talking about whether you believe the role of a recruiter has changed in this post-COVID world. And we'll get into it. But before we do that, I've already given you a brief introduction earlier on in the podcast. In your own words, would you mind... Introducing yourself to the listeners. Um, Stella, I'll obviously let you go first.
2: So Stella, CEO of Rio Group and soon to be CEO of uh, Rio Pertel. So we've recently um, gone through a merger or leading a merger. Um, Mum of two F45 junkie. And I'm actually just about to release in two weeks my book, Stoneheart Lightheart. So secretly, I really want to be an author and... Oh, hang on. It's amazing. I'm not hold, the
0: yet. <laughs> hold that thought, Stella. Hold that thought. I will give you an opportunity to talk about that in just a moment.
2: Okay. Wow.
0: Um, That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. She's, she's a lady of many talents. Did you do F45 this morning? Yep. Solid. You. Uh, Andy Mack, I did. Yes, I did. Can you not tell? Um, Andy Mack, who are you for anybody who doesn't know?
1: Uh, yeah, so Andrew McGregor, managing director for design and recruitment, and director for public sector people. Um, dad of one, um, husband of Natalie. Um, joined DB in two thousand and ten as a consultant, originally in Melbourne. Came to Sydney in two thousand and twelve, and since then progressed to MD. Um, but definitely not an author. Um, definitely full of. I probably won't swear. Um, but um, look forward to releasing my book at some point in the in the future, but just not quite yet because I want to let Stella's sales go through the roof first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a servant leader!
1: <laughs> no problem. Well, look in keeping with the theme of getting getting
0: to know you guys a little bit better. In the previous um, podcast, I used to ask everybody how they got into recruitment, but it was it became a pointless question because <laughs> almost everybody fell into recruitment, maybe with the exception of you, Stella. Um, there was No, you fell into... Okay, everybody fell into agreement. Just ignore that. So I've got four questions that I would like to ask you before we get into the meaty, serious stuff, uh, all designed to help the listeners get to know you better. Um, I'll ask them them in in order to ask each of you to answer, and it should be very interesting to find out what what responses you give. Stella, I will start with you. You kind of just touched on this, so this is an easy one. Had you not chosen a career in recruitment, what career would you like to have chosen?
2: I didn't choose a career in recruitment. I chose a career in medicine and then I had several failed careers until recruitment picked up the failure and allowed me to be a recruiter. So that's the first thing. Um, But I I don't think I have an answer to that because the career that I chose, I didn't stay in, hence the career that I'm in now, but I can tell you the career I want for my future. And the career that I want for my future is I want to go back to uni and do a PhD in neuroscience, and I want—I'd love to be like a lecturer or professor at one of the big universities in Seattle maybe, and continue writing. So that's what I want to be. But I will never stop recruiting because that pays the bills.
0: Okay, well, that was that was my next question. You, you being you, I suspect you will go on to do those things. But but Rio Perú will always have you within it in some way, shape, or form.
2: Yeah. Look, I'm 39. I'm talking about you know, in my 50s here. And I won't be at Rio Patel in my 50s. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, Andy Mack, uh, no pressure. How the hell are you going to follow that? Do you plan on being a professor of anything?
1: i can kind of say neuroscience, let alone actually probably go and do a PhD in it. Um, <laughs> so I did choose recruitment because on the last podcast, I told you I was a tax inspector and I did an investigation on in recruitment company. Yeah. saw how much they earned and I was like, I'm going to do that. So my career, a little bit, obviously, vegetable stock technician, produce boy. Um, Then I was an entertainer at a holiday camp, Butlins, and then obviously tax inspection. Um, But um, truth be told, um, I I, I wanted to go to the military. Um, I wanted to serve. Uh, My father was in the military. My grandfather was in the military. I'm very traditional in my views on, you know, the army, the military, Britain, et cetera. very proud of it all. Very proud of what they've achieved and what they did. And... um, there's always a bit of a regret that I didn't go and surf, um, but ultimately I didn't, and I found myself to where I am today. As to what my future holds, um, I'll just deal with what's today and tomorrow. As to what's going to happen next week or next year, um, I'll, I'll let I will let that come in time. But I can tell you one thing: I ain't going to go and study a PhD.
0: <laughs> yeah, Professor McGregor doesn't quite sound right. Yeah. Um, May funnily enough, I actually harbour a. a minor regret for not going in and doing a little bit of time in in the service Mm -hmm. simply because Mm -hmm. I believe it would have kicked my ass into shape um, and and stopped me having quite a few wayward years which we won't talk about right now. (laughs) Um, The next question I would like to ask you, um, Stella, who within the recruitment industry do you admire and respect the most and why?
2: Um, so, Stephen Carter from Sharp and Carter and Craig Snevesby from UNU, they're probably the two um, leaders at the moment that I most look up to. And although I haven't had a chance to meet either of them or really get to know either of them, I do watch them and I just think what they've done with their businesses is sensational and leading and best in class.
0: But you, you would have got a chance to spend some um, Zoom time with Stephen Carter on the Hoxo Academy, right?
2: Yeah, I did, but we didn't, you know, we were learning. So I, I definitely yeah. don't know either of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I don't really know Craig Sneesby, but I, I know Carter pretty well and he's a pretty, when I'm with him, when I'm in his company, I feel very calm. Uh, he just he kind of has that, has that effect. Um, Mr. McGregor, who do you respect? admire the most in the recruitment industry and why?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I don't think there's one person. I think um, there's many different people I respect and admire externally. You know, and I think any business owner who's been through the last 12 months, um, I think lots of people have done lots of great things in that time. So I've got huge respect for all of them. And in fact, respect for every single one in the industry. Um, You know, I believe that we need to look out for each other. Um, but, you know, as I'm thinking about it, you know, I, I look up to people in the, in the business that I work yeah. with. And, um, you know, I always hold Kelly and Alex, who you know, joined me back in 2012, as the people that I admire the most, just purely because of what they put in every day. You know, um, we wouldn't be where we are without them. And even when things aren't necessarily going their way, they just come in with that attitude of, I'm just going to put everything I've got into every day. So I can admire people externally, but I don't know them. But what I do know is what I see from those two in particular. So I'd say those two, Kelly and Alex.
0: Yeah, okay, bravo. Stella, <clears throat> what's the biggest mistake that you've ever made in your recruitment career?
2: Um, I was two weeks uh, rookie in, at Robert Half and I was learning BD and my manager told me that when a candidate tells you that they resign from a job, you call their boss and you go and pick up their job.
0: I know where this is going.
2: A <laughs> candidate called me. He just resigned from his job. So I picked up the phone and I was so scared. And I called his boss. And his boss said, Well, he hasn't resigned. And I think maybe that candidate ended up getting fired.
0: I think a lot of a lot of us have done similar things to that.
2: And I talk about that when I train rookies, and I'm like, "You do it, but you don't do it unless you really know." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was a really bad moment. I, I I should have resigned after that. That was shocking. That was really bad. But I was under the guidance of my manager, so. Mm.
0: Oh, we 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 actually have, we actually hold a lot of power. Uh, you know, devastationally. Power in our, in our hands uh, as recruiters, and uh, sometimes you can throw a grenade and just get it wrong.
2: Yeah, I mean that was a big. Oh, yeah, that, that's a good lesson. That's a good rookie error.
0: But you learned yeah. it early on, Andy Mack.
1: I mean, we've all done that, haven't we? And we've all sent people who might not necessarily be able to walk up steps to interview and not told the client. We yeah. might have sent people to interview who can't necessarily see, and we haven't told the client because we haven't done our job properly. Um, not to say I've done those things. Um, but um, am I allowed to say I've met my wife in recruitment or was that a bit too much? <laughs> was, <laughs> that a, was that a mistake? <laughs> no, she'll kill me for that. Um, <laughs> look, um, it's, 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 it's hard because, you know, i thought about that that quite a lot and um, many mistakes are made over many years, you know, as a consultant then obviously as a leader. And something that's probably irked me for a little while now in the last 12 months and, you know, we're talking about COVID and everything that's gone and, You know, even as a leader, I sometimes think, you know, I've let my own personal interests get ahead of what needs to be done for the team. Um, You know, I've let my ego get ahead of myself in terms of what needs to be done for the team. Um, And what I mean is for context is just being honest with people about how I really feel about things and what was really required. And, you know, there's been occasions where I haven't been honest. I've held back from telling them on the basis of I think it will hurt their feelings or I think it will cause an issue in the room. And then the issues have just manifested themselves and got worse and worse and worse. So to the point at the separation, the separation hasn't been a good separation. It's been a bad separation. And that could have been easily avoided if I'd been more honest, more early and not been so afraid of being the bad guy. You know, ego is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. You know, sometimes you let it get in the way of having the conversations that need to be had. So I don't think it's the biggest mistake, but I think as a leader, um, it's one of the critical mistakes is sometimes just not being honest about what the situation is and what it needs to and what needs to be said.
0: That's very honest of you, Andrew. That's very, uh, very, very
1: self-reflective and powerful. Honest communication, Pete. Value number one of design and build, and I didn't do it. So, Nice.
0: Right. Well, thank you. Mate. Thank you for sharing that. Um, <clears throat> and then, I, I, I actually, I love this question. If, <laughs> if, if, if heaven forbid, your children approach you in the future and say, <clears throat> "Mom, Dad." Um, I love, what, what you do appears to be really cool. I'd love to get into recruitment. First of all, will you try and dissuade them to do so? And secondly, if they do go and work at uh, your business or any any other recruitment business, what's the number one piece of advice you hope that they will take with them throughout their recruitment career that you will give them? Um, I'll,
2: I'll take that one now. Um, <laughs> I would only encourage them to step into recruitment if they had two critical strengths or attributes in their personality. And the first one was that they were competitive and that they liked to compete and that they enjoyed the competition of winning or losing. Um, the other thing is, is that they had the underlying characteristics of resilience and that they had the appetite for things like failure. If those two characteristics weren't present in either of my daughters, I would be a Greek mother and say, no, you're not allowed to go and be <laughs> <You're> Not allowed. <laughs> no. And these are the 10 reasons why. So that's the first answer. But if they did have that, those characteristics, um what was the second part of the question? What advice would I give them?
0: Yeah, what what advice would you give them? And would you be, would you be happy for them to go into recruitment?
2: Yeah, well, they can do what they want so long as they've got the character. Strength-based recruitment is important. And I'll, you know, I'll use that with my kids as well. But I think the advice that I would give them is everything starts and stops with the candidate. And I think good recruitment starts by elevating the candidate to be their best self. Because when the candidate grows and you give the candidate good service, what happens is your business grows. Now, I would say to them, that doesn't mean that you don't go and get business, go and actually actively recruit for new business. But service starts with the candidate. Opportunities start with the candidate. I don't think the big firms teach that. Mm. And that's what I'd teach my kids if they were coming into our business.
0: Mm. Okay. Looking at your daughters now and their personalities now, do you think either of them...
1: Pete, stop <laughs> it. they are not working now, mate. Give it a break. <laughs> and can I cannot have it exclusively.
2: He's trying to register. Is this a gen-reg, Pete? Is it long range? <laughs> oh,
0: my God. I can't believe Andy Mack, I can't believe you picked up on that. I don't um, Andy Mack, same question. Uh, what advice would you give your your, your little one? Sorry, it's a little boy, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah if you decided to, uh, to pursue a career in recruitment.
1: Um, yeah, I think firstly, um, you know, some people see recruitment as a, a career that's not attractive. You know, the industry's got this sort of, people have got this impression of it, but I think it's a good industry. You know, it's an industry that's provided me an opportunity to be where I am today. You know, and I say to people all the time, you're 23 years old sat in a tax office surrounded by 50, 60 year olds who, you know, with great respect to them, there was not a lot going on for them. And, you know, and I had resigned myself to the not going to do anything with his life, he, you know, pile, you know, I thought about school teachers be thinking, God, he could have been something, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was not necessarily say that today, I'm something. But, um, you know, in that 14 or 15 years I've been in recruitment, I'm now managing director of a business in Sydney, Australia. I didn't apply myself at school. You know, I didn't give myself a good chance at this. And here I am today. So firstly, I'd probably remind every single person of that, you know, be proud of who you are and what you do. <laughs> Um, But I also had a a bit of an exchange with um, a couple of people on LinkedIn yesterday and day before, because I love a LinkedIn exchange. And, um, you know, I I said to anyone, you know, doesn't, you know, people talk about market specialisms and if I don't like the market, then I'm not going to do well in it. I'm like, no, if you love recruitment, you love what recruitment is in terms of looking after the candidate, as Stella has put it perfectly. If you really like looking after the client, if you really like doing the job of a recruiter then bloody well do it. And, and, and that's what I'll speak to Lockie about at some point in the future. Um, but the thing that I'll say to him is, you know, just listen to the advice and the feedback that you're given. Be honest, give a shit, and put everything you've got into it. Don't do it half yeah Because if you do it half assed if you don't put everything you've got into it, you're not necessarily going to succeed. And then it's going to be a bit of a crap job. But the truth is, it'd be a crap job if it was recruitment, if it was finance, if it was marketing, it, any industry, any vertical, if you don't care, then you're not going to go well at it. So don't bloody well do it. So mm. that would be my advice.
0: Don't do it half-assed. The <clears throat> The problem is, there is that, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, to use the terrible sporting analogy, most people in recruitment don't push themselves. You know, it's, it's a small upper percentile who do and therefore succeed. You know, most people are just, happy to coast um, but yeah that would apply to life that would apply to any industry right yeah.
1: existing uh, is what i call it yeah just just existing which is yeah. not a good place to be
0: yeah all right guys well, thank you hopefully that gives everybody an opportunity to find out a little bit more about who you are and what's going on up there um let's not talk... a lot anymore <laughs> not a lot anymore okay so i just want to break away from the chat just for two minutes to bring you an important message from one of our sponsors hoxo media now, if you've been living under a rock for the last 12 months, I will tell you who Hoxo are. They are the world's leading content marketing agency specifically for the recruitment industry. Hoxo are currently working with well over 250 recruitment agencies globally and about 3,000 recruitment consultants. And they are helping those recruiters build the LinkedIn brands that open more opportunities by following a proven methodology daily. Now in 2021, the hugely successful Hoxo Academy is changing. They've launched an eight week personal brand launch program, which you can roll out right across your whole business. The Academy is aimed at helping traditional recruiters who have typically relied on outdated outbound calls to attract candidates and clients. And it helps those who often lack the knowledge of how to use LinkedIn for anything other than posting jobs and might struggle with both ideas and confidence when it comes to producing content. Post COVID-19, we all know that the world and our industry is now truly digital. The modern recruiter needs to have a unique and consistent LinkedIn presence that offers value to their community and drives opportunities inbound. So the Hoxo Academy helps every recruiter in your agency achieve this in just eight weeks. They are enrolling a new cohort of training at the start of each calendar month. Now, here's the good bit. The first 50 customers that sign up in 2021 get the chance to enrol unlimited users onto the programme for 12 months at no extra cost. So if you've got 50 or 500 consultants now and you plan to hire more throughout the year, you can rest assured that they will all get the training they need to build a brand that wins business on LinkedIn. So please click the link attached to this episode or direct message me on LinkedIn to find out how your business can join the Hoxo Academy. On a personal note, I personally did the Hoxo Academy myself in the height of COVID and it absolutely changed my business. I made $60,000 across two months inbound inbound business when people basically just rang me and said, I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn, please help me find a job. So if it worked for me, a wreck to wreck in the height of COVID, I'm pretty sure it could work for you too. So check it out. Back to the chat. Um, we're now going to talk about... COVID and, and and the effect or the impact that it has had on our industry, on the job of a recruiter, if, if at all. So I want to ask you the question, has the role of a recruiter changed in this post-COVID world? Um, let me start with you, Stella. Let me ask you the question. Do you, do you think the role of a recruiter actually has changed because of COVID? Because we're all talking about change. We're all, we're all talking about the new normal and you know it's never going to be the same again. Do you think it's a lot of noise? Or do you think, do you think, do you think it has fundamentally changed?
2: Um, I actually think it's fundamentally changed. Um, the and Savage will challenge, possibly, would challenge this, but the essence of recruitment will never change. But the processes that we use have changed. The environment that we're currently working in has changed, and therefore, what we're doing is different. Mm expectations of onboarding has changed the globalization as a result of digitization is having a serious impact on the labor market globally Mm. the skills that we're looking for in candidates has changed so yes every element of the recruiter's job has changed from how they do what they do to how they assess candidates to how they onboard candidates to the the, um, the linguistics that we use inside of an interview and what we're assessing in a candidate. Mm. Um, and I think I think it's really scary if people don't see that.
0: Okay. Andy, do you think it's changed or it's just a lot of noise?
2: No,
1: I think it's a relatively comprehensive answer that is given in that it's ever-changing, it's ever-evolving. Um, so as a recruiter, you have got to... Be aware of that, but at the same time, just make sure you're focusing on what's happening today. Um, I do sense in a way that, you know, having worked through the post GFC, you know, there's similarities to that. Um, the one dissimilarity is that talent. You know, we haven't got any talent. There's, there's nothing, you know, post GFC, there was plenty of people looking for work. But what we're seeing in this, in the construction engineering space already is they're not there and they're not coming from overseas because no one can get in. And that's not going to change in the next one to two years. So um, you've got to be really, really good and really smart at how you approach your recruitment sort of methodology. Um, You know, I think the same threats are always going to be there. Um, The same opportunities are all going to be there. Um, But what Stella spoke about is true. and, And that's the next year, the following year, and the following year, that's going to constantly change. So how you recruit around, how you advise clients, not just in terms of how to attract a candidate, but it's also how to interview a candidate now. Now it's how to onboard the candidate. But, you know, we talk about that as a design and build because our vision is to be the most trusted recruitment agency, because we don't just wanna talk about recruitment. We wanna access those other parts of talent lifecycle to stay relevant, to stay relevant because ultimately the recruiters, we will become irrelevant if all we can do is jump onto a website or LinkedIn or seek talent and just send them a CV. We've gotta be better than ever. Mm-hmm. everything we do because the microscope is on us and the margin pressure mm-hmm. and all the automation that's happening it's it's huge um so mm-hmm. the role of recruiters changed the role of a uh, talent acquisition consultant has changed internally and externally yeah. so in response to Pete, I think it's changed yes already but i think it's got a lot more change ahead of it as well mm-hmm. so but let's talk about also, that. i'll just add yeah. the fundamentals haven't changed either do the right thing by your client do the right thing by your candidate and do the right thing by your colleague and you know what you generally will go pretty well, but the ones that go really well will go above and beyond that as well.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what what constitutes being better than ever, and 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 what what a what a modern era post COVID recruiter needs to embrace and to execute to do that. So with that in mind, Stella, what new skills do you believe recruiters need to have in their toolbox in this post COVID era in order to uh, to help them be successful? Mm.
2: Um, I've got two answers for that, and I want to frame it. So if I think about where recruitment is going to be in 10 years, I think it's been going to be in a very different place to where it is today. And I think that COVID has completely accelerated that. Um, so I, I think that our industry is going to become much more intelligent in how they do what they do. To some degree, you don't really need much to be a recruiter. Barriers of entry is low. So when you get a good recruiter that's got a good educational background in whatever discipline they might be recruiting in, you probably find that they tend to excel if they can recruit. So I think in 10 years' time, we're going to find recruitment as a function of management consulting, where we are having conversations with our customers that far exceed talent, but we're looking at end-to-end talent life cycles. We're looking at how... Um, people fit into strategy, we're looking at OD concerns, what sort of uh, needs an organisation will need in two years, in three years, and how the talent that we're placing today is going to be able to um, success into those needs. So I actually think where you will find us finding talent coming out of your BCGs and your consulting firms. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we're going to be plucking salespeople off the street anymore like we do today. It's going to be more intelligent. So then that takes me to where we are today, so the two skills that I'm, that I'm focused in training our team on are um, strategy frameworks so they can have conversations with our clients around, around leadership, around influence, around political power, around anything to do with management and business and solving business problems because we are in white collar, we operate in business and every silo of business, finance, IT, HR, they all intersect. And every category intersects. And at the intersection of all those categories, we're finding those new emerging roles. So I'm teaching and and I'm bringing people to teach our people how to think like a business leader as a um, economic leader so they can actually have conversations when it comes to talent. The second thing is, is I don't think we do sales anymore. I think we do like a hybrid of marketing and sales. Yeah. Yesterday, we were doing the structure of Rio Pertel's executive team. So I have a job description as of today. Yesterday, I didn't. Today, I do my new role. And um, what we deliberated about is does marketing sit in sales in the new world or does marketing sit in operations in the the new world? And there's two sides of marketing. So I'm actually going to be taking care of brand because I believe recruiters do marketing and sales together when it comes to what they do. The engine of marketing, obviously, someone else can do for me because I don't want to do it. So two answers there.
0: Mm.
2: Okay, it's
0: interesting. Yeah, when I think back to my early days, about the, the recruitment was essentially telesales. It was bang, 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 bang. And thankfully, those days have gone. But um, I do think we need a little bit, a little bit more of that back in our industry. But um,
2: I think the machines will take that over. And then we've got to just be, like what Andy said, we've got to step up as consultants. we are going to just be more clever in what we do and how we do it. So it's going to be a real clever job. Mm.
0: Andy, what do you think um, recruiters post-COVID, what, what, what new tools do they need in their, uh, in their... New skills do they need in their tool bag? Yeah,
1: look, um, <laughs> Sellers gave a pretty comprehensive answer, if I'm being honest. This just reaffirms, why well, I'm not going to do a PhD anytime soon or oh, write a book. Uh, but... <laughs> But um, look, um, you know, even our business is looking at ourselves in terms of how we deliver our service. The 360 model is that really relevant today? As Stella put it a moment ago, there's going to be something else that's going to do the lead generation and, and deliver and, and, and identify the work, and so then there's going to be somebody else who's going to deliver on that work and that piece of work, and then there's going to be somebody else who does the talent pooling and the talent management. Then there's going to be somebody else who does the candidate care and the candidate management. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the role of recruitment businesses is going to change. Um, you have to diversify who you are and what you do. And like I said earlier, you know, if you look at the talent life cycle, recruitment is fifteen percent, 15 percent. You know, the recruitment part of what we do. So actually, is another eighty-five percent of what we could do. And I prefer to have eighty-five percent of the pie than fifteen percent of the pie. Um, but you can only get to that other part of the life, talent life cycle by winning the trust of the client. So don't forget to be a good recruiter first. Be a great recruiter, and then. Build your business around, well, okay, we're going to try and win managed service work, RPO, advisory work. So we need to start putting the right skill sets in the business. And you're absolutely right, not the ones who smash the phones, but the ones who've worked for the Deloitte's, the KPMG's, the management consultants, they see things differently around organizational development. They see things differently around employee valid propositions. They can go into our clients and be like, okay, your turnover is 40%, let's reduce that to 20% which means then you only have to work with that one agency and that's our agency because you need to come down. You don't need as many agencies So we're bringing it down. So I think the role of recruitment businesses will change. Um, the fundamentals of good recruitment, I don't necessarily think will change in the, in the immediate term. Again, doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, I hope that's uh, an answer.
0: Okay, okay. So just breaking away from the conversation for one more minute, just to bring you another quick message from our other sponsor, Vincere, the recruitment weapon for progressive recruitment firms. So Vincere is an all-in-one platform that covers your front, middle, and back office recruitment operations, from BD, applicant tracking, rostering, timesheets, invoicing, internal chat, all the way through to battle-tested analytics and dashboards. Vincere's vision is to build the features that other CRMs outsource to third parties, or a marketplace. So if your current recruitment tech stack has become a debt stack, or even worse, a Franken stack, then Vinny will bring everything into one place. Vincere is Aussie owned and is run by a team of successful ex-recruiters. So if you're currently using Bullhorn, JobAdder, or the like, but are looking for a new breed tech partner, speak to Vincere. No matter what your recruitment journey is, whether it's contract, temp, exec search, or perm, if you're a subscriber to this podcast, then you can get an exclusive offer from the Vincere team. Simply visit www.vincere.oo/slash mint. Back to the chat. Oh, well, look, this, this, this next question kind of leads on from that, but I'm going I'm to ask you first, Andy. Otherwise, you'll just turn around and say Stella just gave a really comprehensive answer <laughs> um, <laughs> and then just reiterate everything that she's just said. Mike, um, do you think. Um, when you when you think about okay so back I'm I'm in rec right so when I when I think about all those people over the last decade and a half that I've placed I, I would always and still do to some degree look for those old school traits right that that tenacity that competitiveness that you know that uh, don't take no for an answer that absolute bullish persona do you think in this new era do you think the people who are coming into recruitment who are going to be successful, still need that? Or do you think they need to be different personality types?
1: Good question. Um, Whether it's COVID, whether it's GFC, whether it's Third World War, whatever, what you're looking for in a person shouldn't necessarily change you know, our values are honest communication, care, focus and feedback. So we talk to that in our interview process. Can you give us examples of when you've done that? The two things we, we look for in any interview are, can you demonstrate when you've been driven, resilient? And can you demonstrate when you provide a good customer care or when you've done something right by your colleague? So um, I think it's a mixture of the two. You know, I think it's always that, don't forget what got you here, never forget that. But also re- remember that what got you here won't necessarily get you to where you want to go. Um, so, without wishing to sit on the fence, I'm going to say it's a blend of the two. Old world is always new world if it's done well. And too many times, people just don't do the fundamentals right. They forget to do the fundamentals, which is why they fail. It's not because of LinkedIn. It's not because of Seek and trying to do what Seek are doing at the moment. It's because of them, yeah. them themselves. They, you know, they've not understood the fundamentals of what recruitment is, and they're not applying it in every day. So, yeah, do they need to be digital natives? Do they need to be passionate about their industry? Do they need to be passionate about recruitment? Of course. Um, but some of the fundamentals have to remain the same. I'm not saying, by the way, KPI phone bashing, but, you know, you've got to meet every candidate you present to a role. It's just a fundamental part of the job and not enough people are doing it. So, um, yeah, that's my sit-on-the-fence answer, if I can do that, because I'm, I'm sure Estella's got a far more comprehensive answer.
2: i it led me into it.
0: Stella, could you please give us your very comprehensive answer, glossing over everything Andy just said?
2: (laughs) You guys cracked me up. Um, So, do the new recruiters coming into the recruitment world today, are they any different to the old school recruiters? Yeah, do you think? Um, I agree with Andy. I think that the. Sorry. Now, there's two things. I think that the the behaviours of a recruiter remain the same and the strengths of a recruiter remain the same. Like, you've got to be competitive, you've got to be customer-centric, you've got to have empathy. Like, the, those beha- strengths of a traditional recruiter remain the same. The unicorn is still a unicorn. However, I believe that the skills that we're now um, being required to use are different. So uh, the skill, the tools of the trade are completely different. And I also think the IQ is changing. I mentioned this before. Recruitment's really EQ. It's all EQ, and the EQ is also years and years of intuition is really lots of data points of the millions of interviews that we've done, which gives us a good intuition, for example, on assessment. But I think that now we're moving into an era where we need more IQ. Mm. Massively. I, I really believe the role of the recruiter is not going to be a sales role anymore. It's it's going to change. There, there, there's going to be some, obviously, where it's process driven, but I, I think that in a boutique, in boutique land, it won't.
0: But earlier you said you believe we need more sales in recruitment or we need to get back to sales in recruitment, but you think there's less uh, a requirement or less sales?
2: No, no, I think it remains the same. Sales and marketing, you, I mean, the bigger the sales and marketing, the more jobs you have on. So the fundamentals of recruitment remain the same, but that's not enough. You can't just be um, a chess beater. It doesn't work because the moment you get the job on, you're actually required to do some thinking. You need some good decision-making process in how you do what you do. You need to validate what you do with evidence. You need evidence-based practice. You need, there's that's IQ. Mm. So, you know, unless we're training, I mean, we, we need to train to this now. We don't have a degree. You don't need, you don't have a recruitment degree where you've got to go and do a degree to do what we do. Anyone can do what we do. That's why we're we're a bunch of unicorns. We're a bunch of misfit unicorns, the ones that are in recruitment that are leading, and we do have IQ because we're here. But when we're talking about the people that we're bringing into our market post-COVID, this is where we need to teach them these things.
1: Yeah, can I just add something? I can wholeheartedly agree. I've, I've met too many prospective colleagues and asked them simple mathematical questions. And they can't answer it and i'm like so do you know what margin is over markup and they just look at me like i'm rain man and i'm like come on we got to, you've got us critical thinking here this is going to get tougher and tougher you've got to be able to negotiate in the spot and so you can't rely on calculators so you know i, I do think the smarts are going to be critical to that um and to and to just simplify one thing i'm um, change in talk about two things linkedin and seek to me they're changing they are becoming more and more uh, of the competitor. They ain't your friend. And I think Seek have really shown that in more recent times. And LinkedIn is becoming more and more ineffective. I'm proud of Designing Builds Brand and LinkedIn and we do incredibly well, but I see the impressions, I see the engagement rate, I see the click-throughs. It's getting harder and harder and harder. So that ability to use your EQ to craft a relationship with your candidates and clients, but also use the smarts, yeah. It's critical to have a bit of smarts now as well and not just this whole, you know, oh, yeah, you know, my face fits mentality.
2: Yeah. And you know what? Humans versus the machines, right? Like it's the typical Matrix, Neo, you know, movie, you know, that one, Pete? Have you seen The Matrix? Do you know what
0: I'm talking about? Many years ago.
2: Many Many years ago versus a machine anyway like we're the same right with with linkedin and seek so you think okay linkedin and seek can do basic recruitment they can no. so why are they hiring me they're not hiring me for basic recruitment they're hiring me to be a consultant intelligence around why we're doing what we're doing how the person connects beyond the seat how we're assessing job descriptions beyond the job description what is the problem the job is going to solve within the organization mm-hmm. and um machines can't do that yeah. so you were talking about negotiation all right like someone we, we were just doing a negotiation today a client wants us to negotiate you know a six month payback guarantee and they want their money back and it's like no i'm sorry but now I'm not doing that negotiation. I'm doing other stuff. Someone else in the team is having that conversation with the CFO. And I noted this afternoon when I was having, it was this morning actually, when I was having this chat with one of the recruiters that, do we teach negotiation as a behaviour across our industry? We teach sales, hit your KPIs, do your client visits, but do we teach negotiation? Negotiation is a strategy. They teach it in MBAs. Mm. So we're here Expecting our recruiters to negotiate and be commercial, and yet it is a capability that we don't train to, we don't test to, we don't invest in. So this is what I'm talking about. That's where the new world's going.
0: Andy, what happens in your business if a if one of your consultants is having a, a pretty heated debate around negotiations around terms? Do they come to you and ask you your advice, or do you, do you trust them to deal with it?
1: Um, no, um, they. Collaborate internally between each other, they speak to the managers, they speak to me. Um, just talking about guarantees, by the way, we don't use it as a negotiation because guarantees are warranty. You are obliged by Australian consumer law to provide a warranty for any services you provide. So, as far as I'm concerned, that shouldn't dictate what the percentage is. Um, we do teach within our building blocks program around negotiation defeat. We try and help the client educate the client around time and money because those are the two things why they're calling us, because they don't have the time themselves to do it, and they don't have the resource themselves. So they're calling us, but then they try and negotiate us down and then we spend less time on it because we're getting less money for it. So we, we, we talk around that in our negotiation skills, but um, your original question, um, the consultants have parameters, but what I say to everyone is if you're 15%, but your job's placement's three to one, you're actually working at 5%, so just be honest about it in yeah. the first place. So if you wanna do 10% and your job's placement's four to one, you're working at two and a half percent, go you. You ain't going nowhere anytime fast. So we try and get people to think smart, um, so, again, these are the sort of conversations. I'm not that cruel, by the way. That was just me being me. Um, I do try and do it with care. That's you being
2: honest, Andy. That's you being honest.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so look, um, instead, it's right. Um, we've, for a long time, just taught people how to sell, but not how to negotiate. Yeah. And that's why deals fall out. Like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, Thinking about and factoring in everything that we've spoken about, about where the industry is and how much it's changing and what it looks like post-COVID, do you think all of these changes are for the better or the detriment of the industry? You go back to my question about your kids going into the industry. I remember going into the recruitment industry being ridiculously excited about this world that I was entering, intimidated absolutely shit myself but could not wait to get into it do you think it still holds that <clears throat> that magic do you think people coming into it will yeah still be be, be excited about, about the industry and what it what it looks like today versus what it was 10 20 years ago anybody can go first i don't care
1: would you like me to go first as, you go you go you first. know um, i'd like to provide you a comprehensive answer if i can it. on this um <laughs> I think every change um, which points towards giving a better service to client candidate or colleague is a good change. Um, I think if you look at COVID in particular, obviously there's been a lot of focus on work-life balance, flexibility, et cetera else. And some of those changes have been positive changes. But I also think people need to remember that the recruitment industry, in my opinion, has been one of the best industries in terms of benefits and reward. I mean, how many holidays I've gone on, how many weekends off I've had, how much leave I get, how many days off I get is incredible already. So I think there's, the industry itself in terms of what you get from it is incredible in terms of the reward factor. But I think the changes we're seeing now are just gonna make you a better professional Mm -hmm. in terms of what you do and actually make you potentially, and God forbid, a consultant and not just a recruiter because Mm -hmm. of where we're going. So yes, in short, the changes that are happening are good, um, they've been happening for some time. I don't think necessarily COVID was the reason why more companies are doing more flexible work, more, why more companies have got training development program now. I think that was already going to happen anyway, um, but maybe they just got super sped up during this time because we had a bit of a breathing room. It wasn't just an absolute madhouse for a period of time. So like, oh, actually let's have a look at the business and what we're doing, what, what we're doing wrong. Mm. So um, in response, yes, the changes that are happening are good as long as they are pointed towards just being a better recruitment business. Because then you'll get better recruitment consultants.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Stella.
2: Um, I agree with all of that. I think it's all about the environments that we create for our recruiters. Um, I think our recruiters are the ones that are driving, you know, the people are the ones that are driving the industry. Um, It's complex because if we don't move, we're actually going to go backwards. If we go back to, for example, being in the office five days a week then there's you know, quite a few agencies that want to collab, that believe collaboration can only happen through physical connection. Mm. Um, I think that's really scary because we've proven that we don't need to do that. We've proven that um, digitization can work. It's reducing cost to serve and it's making organizations more sustainable. And therefore, they can put more money into things like learning and development. I also think, I mean, we've just gone through a merger. I actually think we need to consolidate. Think about after the GFC, everyone spun out of the big agencies and became small agencies. There's not many small agencies that have become big agencies. Only the bigger agencies can provide learning and development, sustainable career pathways for recruiters. The small ones can't. They just can provide a really good job and a really great salary. So if we're talking about the industry... We need to talk about who's actually making the changes in the industry and they're the organizations that are investing in the people so for us to invest in people we actually need to kind of consolidate because i don't know what the number is but for every dollar that we for every dollar that we profit our cost to serves double so as an industry it's becoming harder to be and harder to be profitable. And if you can't have those two things, you don't have a sustainable industry for the people. So they're they're my thoughts on it. Mm. And I'd be interested to see what happens over the next 10 years if we continue to spin off into more micro-businesses, which I don't think is sustainable for the industry, for people, Mm. or if we consolidate. We'll see.
0: We shall see. We shall see. Well, look, I'm glad that both of you think that the recruitment industry is, in general, improving. You know when you go to Google and you put recruiters are, recruitment consultants are, and then it flashes up bullshitters, liars, charlatans. It'd be, it'd be amazing in 10 years' time if you go into recruitment consultants are legends, awesome, professional, important.
1: There's a chance, though, that it won't be recruitment consultants at that point. It'll be talent managers. It'll be something else. We won't, won't be called recruitment consultants. Yeah, It'd be something, it might be something else at that point so think about that as well
0: well hopefully in you 10 know, years' time, time. yeah hopefully in 10 years time i as a rector reckoning recruitment won't need to worry about it but chances are i will be i'll still be here no doubt <laughs> <laughs> so guys uh, I will. Thank, you, thank, you so <laughs> thank you so much thank for, you so much for for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts um you're obviously both two uh, very forward-thinking innovative recruitment leaders so i dare say your businesses will navigate this post COVID
1: era, absolutely fine. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Stella.
2: Nice to meet you, Andrew, again.
1: Lovely <laughs> to see you all.
2: Lovely Take care,
1: guys.
0: All the best. Thank you.
2: Bye.
0: Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Recruitment Journeys podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. Now, while we're passionate about bringing inspirational recruitment stories to our network via this podcast series, recruitment to recruitment is our bread and butter and our day job. So if you are a recruiter thinking about your next career chapter, which coincidentally forms part of your recruitment journey, see what I did there? We're always keen to have confidential discussions with recruiters about what's going on in the market. So please feel free to contact me in the strictest of confidence on 0432 666 701 or email pete at mintrecruitmentgroup.com. Thank you.